Hello and welcome to Tell Me About It, brought to you by NAM AIDS Map, Radioville and Public Health England. It's a podcast where people with HIV and an interest in HIV share our experiences. It's an opportunity for us to talk to people who may know a little less about HIV, celebrate progress and learn from each other. Our lives are varied and diverse. There's no one way to be HIV positive. Every episode, we'll hear from two people with different perspectives. They'll share what they know and how their lives may have been shaped by HIV. Today, we're hearing from Charlie Brinkhurst-Cuff and Becky Kroger. Charlie Brinkhurst-Cuff is an award-winning journalist, book editor, columnist, podcast host, and creative with focuses on features, profiles, and investigations on the topics of identity, culture, lifestyle travel, media and social politics. She is currently the editor-in-chief at Gowden Magazine, editor of the books Black Joy and Mother Country. She is also the co-host of Growing Up With Gowden, one of the fastest growing podcasts in the UK. Becky Kroger is a leading voice within youth HIV advocacy. Becky has worked with a range of organisations, including the Children's HIV Association, Youth Stop AIDS. In 2018, Becky received the Prime Minister's Points of Light Award in recognition of her advocacy and was selected as the official youth delegate representing the Department for International Development at the largest global health conference on HIV. A fun fact about Becky is that she loves to dance as it gets her through any situation. <laughs> Becky that's so lovely I just want to hear about your dancing now like that's, 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 that's the thing a I'm daily routine to. and you it's know what a... during lockdown <laughs> I've just been dancing more and more Have you? <laughs> anybody oh, that will be willing to watch really <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh well um, it's so lovely to meet you um, it's so lovely and... to meet you oh. yeah <laughs> this is kind of a different perfect. experience for me mm-hmm. um yeah strange but I'm just thinking you know what in my little age of 26 I've done a lot Mm. (laughs) a lot (laughs) and I don't think I ever realized how much I like how much I do in general um, until I either go on stage and do a speech or I do something like this um, where they read my bio out and I'm like Mm. wow how did this all happen (laughs) yeah Yeah. especially when you still feel like you're like really young and then it's like actually definitely getting towards 30 and I've packed a lot of stuff (laughs) in um but a question I had for you just just straight up was about your advocacy and I wanted to know of that bio which sort of piece of advocacy work or are you sort of most proud of when it comes to um yeah advocacy oh so (laughs) I would say one of my proudest single moments of my advocacy work was being chosen as the youth delegate for um, the International AIDS Conference in Amsterdam in 2018. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) I actually felt like I fought for that role Mm. in the sense of I knew that this was going to be one the biggest stage, but also the biggest place where I could actually raise my voice on behalf of young people living with HIV all over the world and say to them, do you know what? I got through. 
I'm mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. I'm here to educate you on what's been happening over years. You know, I'm here mm-hmm. to tell you my story, to take you along on my journey and, you know, just let people know that living with HIV is honestly the smallest part, but also mm-hmm. when you do, when you live your daily life, your daily routine, mm-hmm. it's um, yeah, you don't really think about it. Well, I don't. I mean, we all have good days. We all have really bad days. But mm-hmm. my point is that medication has been such a huge turning point. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And raising my voice, like just being able to speak, you know, not be, being healthy, not being ill, um, and just saying to people, do you know what? You can smile, you can dance, you can do whatever you want. Um, and, yeah, I just feel so humbled by it all, really. Yeah. That's amazing. And how, how do you think people kind of responded to that message of, I guess, of, of hope and of joy? <laughs> <laughs> um, how people responded? I think it's a mix of reactions, really, yeah. or responses as well. Um I think mostly people are like, wow, you came from South Africa in the country at the time where um, the HIV rates were so high, actually the highest in the world at one point, you know, Um, and you didn't start out with like a family behind you, you know, initially, like I had my family all along, but most of my my entire childhood was basically in a children's home Mm -hmm. so um we didn't have a mother and a father or an auntie or an uncle around us on a daily basis we had staff Mm -hmm. you know um and like our daily routines just consisted of medication food going to school cleaning up and it was just that kind of you know that bubble that essentially I saw as my protection Mm-hmm. from the big bad world or the big wide world um were there other kids then in the children's home who yeah were- there were lots yeah oh, okay. um I think we were about 50 to 60 children at one point in the home um and a lot of us were actually quite poorly as children mm-hmm. hence okay. the um load of host- hospital visits um treatments and different medications over the years for different illnesses we had at the time um but then I remembered my my first actual childhood memory of hope was when I got the opportunity to go to the um to the hospital and have my bloods drawn and then Mm. they gave me medication but Mm. they said you are going to be on this medication for the rest of your life Mm. but it will work yeah okay it will work all right and you know as an eight-year-old at the time I was just like yeah 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 you're gonna switch me next week it's fine yeah yeah you didn't trust them (laughs) because I was on so many different medications that I didn't know whether I was coming or going I just took whatever they gave me really um yeah and even going through all of that Mm. Um, I didn't at the time fully accept that I was HIV positive. Mm-hmm. You know, so did they, did they explain it to you from when you were very they young? Yeah. They, I got um, 
yeah, I got explained to by doctors, by the people mm. in the home, by um, anybody that came to come and visit us, social workers, everybody tried to explain to me. But at the end of the day, you are the one living with it. Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah, it's it's a tough one. But at the same time, I broke through that barrier when I joined the youth committee um, with the Children's HIV Association. Um, they were initially my starting block, really, and they. Mm-hmm. I went to this um, the summer camp that they run every year, and mm-hmm. about a hundred young people turn up, and we have key workers, camp leaders, staff members, and we have a week where we learn about HIV um, through a variety of workshops. Mm-hmm. Um, but also we do like out of bounds activities like high ropes or rowing or canoeing, some all of those kind of things. And they have drama and music um, workshops as well. And it's a place where for that week you just can scream HIV and everybody will be like, I got you. <laughs> you know, it's really about that. that, you know. Yeah. Um, and joining the youth committee is where I actually started um, speaking about my journey of living with mm. HIV, mm. Um, educating doctors, um, scientists wow. about how I as a young person live with HIV, what I've been through, how I, how I felt going through it, how I felt coming out of any um, issues that I may have had, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's just about, yeah, they gave me that, they gave me that opportunity and mm-hmm. I took it and I said, thank you, Chiba. And I, I feel like I just went from plane to plane and I flew, wow. you know. Yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. I built that confidence with the friends that I had made. Mm-hmm. I built that level of trust, you know, as well. And I don't think Chiba actually realises what they, like how much of an impact they have on young people's lives, but they have such a huge impact. And because of them, I've like, just gone to spread the word across other organizations really Mm. that's beautiful and like big ups them as an organization Mm. um so yeah I I have commissioned some pieces on HIV during my time at Galdem um I think I always been aware of of it and I think like many children um there were some sort of very ignorant things that were said in the playground but I've always been quite curious so I started doing my sort of own research and googling and stuff from pretty much the moment I could I've always been very interested in like health and 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 illness and um and all that sort of stuff so um I also remember when I got a bit older starting to be I was always like one of those kids that was correcting people like (laughs) but you know like it was I was probably really irritating but like if someone said something like particularly ignorant I'd be like actually but but ridiculous um the one thing I was thinking about when um when you were speaking just then about the the drugs you were given as an eight-year-old was Mm -hmm. the fact that I'm not sure I know that that we're at a a brilliant position now where people have undetectable Mm -hmm. loads which means that they can't pass HIV on etc etc and then we have PrEP as well which is brilliant um but I I don't know when those drugs that are you know super effective actually came about like in the timeline I was wondering if you yeah. have to know that Becky like scientifically I'm not quite 
<laughs> on that. Um, but yeah. personally, for me, it was about, um, I would say, after about 2005, really, is when I started to feel that I've um, been given that new burst of energy kind mm. of thing. Actually, come to think of it, effective treatment was actually from about 1996. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. So basically, when I was taking my doses as a child I think they uh, had already had um, medication around for adults but for children it was um, a slower process you know so I was actually on a trial for um, yeah for the children's um, dosage of the medication Mm -hmm. so that was funded um, by a UK organization here as well um one-to-one children's fund so they came from the uk to south africa and we were us in the home as children we were um gradually sent to um Grutesker hospital in observatory um and that's where they trialed us on all the different not all of them but three of the um, medications um so that we they could work out what worked for children's mm. systems as well so yeah that's really interesting mm. um and I was also curious to know um that you obviously moved to the UK when you were 14 and yes. I wondered how that transition was not just from the perspective of, of HIV but just for you as a person I guess you were a wee bit older than some people are when they become adopted and mm. um I'd love to hear about how you've learned to kind of love your family like I said my family's always been around you know yeah yeah, so basically I was adopted at 14 Mm -hmm. but um, at the time they were my foster family and um, because I was quite ill I needed to be looked after a lot more so Mm -hmm. hence why I went to the children's home and Mm -hmm. they came here to England to basically um, settle themselves and you know yeah Mm -hmm. Um, so in terms of the transition I just thought to myself yay I'm going to England (laughs) you're excited I love that I really was I was like get me out the home now (laughs) yeah Um, I was I just remember so completely different circumstances I, I moved um from countries so like I mean is it countries I moved from England to Scotland when I was eight oh, years old yes and I countries like, yes yeah, it's that countries I don't even know yeah. anymore <laughs> I just remember being so scared and I love that your energy was more like I'm going to England yes yeah. yeah and the thing is I had actually visited um in 2006 Mm-hmm. Um, just to come over here for Christmas, I did not enjoy the the weather. Yeah, like, you know, it was cold. <laughs> it was so cold. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I'd visited and I'd really enjoyed it. You know, one of my fondest memories is eating um, a pancake, one of those crepe pancake things, in the centre of London. When I thought about coming here I was like I'm gonna have another one of those pancakes and I'm gonna try and stand in the exact same spot <laughs> oh okay. you know what that yeah. is so like me like all of my memories of places are based around food like <laughs> if, if I had a good meal somewhere I'm like I'm gonna go back and oh, have that definitely, meal again. Yeah. Definitely. yeah. <laughs> um, 
So did you yeah. move straight to Ipswich where you are now? Or, I did. Or... Oh, yes. cool. Yeah, nice. I did. And I think I was at home for about three weeks and then I was in school. I was in a different high school kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I had attended a year of high school in South Africa. But coming here, it was a whole different story, wow. you know. I found that in a in a weird way, I found myself hiding. You mm. know, I'd gone from that like openly expressive girl to that really shy girl with a really um, strong accent at the time, mm. and it was just a bit strange, really. Um, and also taking time off to go to my um, medical appointments was a was a huge thing because mm. I was under two different hospitals I was under here in Ipswich but also I was at St Mary's in London okay. you know so that essentially meant if I was going to St Mary's is it was a full days of school missed kind of thing yeah um, and yeah and with that when you miss days they're like oh where were you Mm. You know, how, what have you been up to? Why mm. did you go off for so long? And it's all of those kind of questions. And at the time I found myself saying, um, I just went to the doctors, but then, you know, you went to the doctors. Why mm. have you gone to the doctors? Why mm-hmm. did you go so often to the doctors? And it was just like, oh. oh yeah. And so, what, what was the kind of advice being given to you at the time by your family or by others, like as to whether or not you should disclose your diagnosis? Were you told that? You know, if you no, they left it up to me. Mm-mm. They left it up to me. You mm-hmm. know, um, I can't remember being warned as such about mm-hmm. how people may react to me telling them my status. But mm-hmm. yeah, I think they just left it up to me, and um, I did end up disclosing my status to one to one person that I thought was my friend at the time and oh. <laughs> it went around the school and oh. well in my year group anyway Mm-mm-mm. um and that was a big wake-up call right you know that was a wake-up call because I was like why have you just like told something that I told you yeah. in mm. confidence you know tell somebody else that mm. and it was about um me realizing why they have left why my my family had left that decision up to me yeah. um and i thought to myself i can either go into myself and let this um hurt kind of get to me but carry on as what i would think is normal mm-hmm. or i could do something about it and because of the previous camp that i'd gone to which would have been the first um Chiva summer camp I was suddenly at this thought that I'm not I don't have to be quiet about this mm-hmm. because I actually have the correct information you know I could change their perceptions on what they think they know about HIV but mm-hmm. more so in the sense that I could actually educate them mm-hmm. and hopefully pass on that correct information that I've given them so that they don't go and stigmatize the next person they've been with HIV. And if it was, if I didn't go to camp the year before, I think I would have gone and hid, you know. But saying saying the word HIV freely changed my mind, you know. Um, 
And in the end, I did do a little PowerPoint thing, you know, do a little a presentation for my class. Um, and the response from that was huge. Really? Yeah, yeah. that's amazing. I love that. The you just it in your was huge because at the end of the day, they all then knew that I'd lived that I live with HIV, mm -hmm. but they had the right information yeah. and they then realised that what they had said to me in the first place actually hurt my feelings. Yeah, yeah. That's they were not going to do that to the next person living with HIV that they may meet in their life. Yeah. Um, so it's, that's it's so, really what happened, you know. Yeah. It's so um, crucial, like, those those moments in your formative years, like, um I remember, again, quite a different situation, but a similar kind of school talk that happened in my school where a survivor of the Holocaust came in and, and talked to us about their experiences um, in mm. Auschwitz and, and all these other places. And it yeah. really sticks in your mind. And, you know, you, you definitely... I, I just feel like if people's prejudices are stamped out early, <laughs> that's oh, always going to be a good thing. Yeah. yeah, I think work in schools... Um, is quite vital for for young people um, in, in general, you know, because this is the time of their lives where they actually start to learn about what's going to happen um, in, once they leave high school, really, once they go beyond those, those doors and they discover life for themselves, you know. Mm. Um, I must say that my school was actually, they had, I feel that they they handled the whole situation well. I mean, they gave me a space to, um, like, educate my class mm. um, about how things, how I live with HIV and then also just, I think they took it as a learning opportunity themselves mm. because um, maybe some of the teachers even, didn't have um, that amount of information, but also maybe they needed a bit of confidence on how to deliver a session about HIV to their next class, you know. Um, yeah. And it's just, yeah, I think they, they handled, it, handled it well because after that I never had any issues, Love you know. Yeah. I never got um, stigmatised again. In mm -hmm. fact, I was actually more looked after. Yeah, people, you know, yeah. If I fell, they would be like, are you okay? Do you need help getting up? <laughs> so, yeah, and I think, and I actually, my best friend is my friend from high school. So oh, that's yeah, lovely. I took away a really good friend. Yeah, yeah. And did, did you yeah. say you're a teaching assistant now as well? I'm a so teaching assistant, You're back yes. in schools yourself. How yeah. long have you been doing that for? And, like, what um, do you, yeah. Since I was 19, really. Oh, wow. um, yeah. But one made me realize I wanted to work in a school was um, that I went for my, you know, your your training days in work experience. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I went for my work experience in a primary school, and I loved those two weeks. Yeah, so, yeah. I thought awesome. I might as well give it a go. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, what do you think is sort of the most important things young people should be told about H HIV nowadays? Um. Most important thing, I would say that it's all, it's all right. It's mm -hmm. actually all right, you know. Um, there will always be people that will be there for you, um, even if it's just one person, even if it's just your doctor that you go and see, mm -hmm. there will be somebody. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, 
That's cool. Mm. Um, and do you think that there is, obviously at the time you were educating your peers and um, and 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 your teachers as well by the sounds of it, but do you reckon that there might be better HIV education in school nowadays or or I don't know if well, that's... Well, there should be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe that's <laughs> the reason. there hasn't been already, I'm mm. sorry, Department for Education, what have you been doing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. I don't, I don't remember any lessons on it and stuff, but I wasn't necessarily paying that much attention in school, so they might have been there and I, I just missed it. Yeah. Um, but I, I definitely, I feel like my own education on HIV was, was definitely personal and something that I have looked into and researched on mm. since I've been an adult rather than being taught yeah. about it as a child. Um, was there one particular like moment or um, piece of information that you may have read that sparked your interest into learning about it? Um, I think it might have actually been a more... Per- personal thing that like re-sparked it so obviously I kind of taught myself a little bit about it as a kid as a kid as I t- yeah. kind of mentioned when I was like being a know-it-all and being like you know don't be mean about me <laughs> um, yeah. but, but when I got a bit older obviously I started having sex with people and, and you start reading about STIs and and um mm-hmm. how you know not to transmit them etc um and there was one time where I took a HIV test or actually I had I'm very like um squeamish with blood and so oh, I I yeah. oh man yeah <laughs> so my my yeah. housemate like I was like ah and my housemate had to come in and and finish off doing the test yeah. and so, yeah. um and it just got me thinking more about um HIV and 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 so I think from that point I started paying more attention to dialogue around it and um also also started reading about PrEP which there was such an effective I don't I mean you you probably know about more, way more about it than me but from oh. from an outsider's perspective it seemed like a really effective campaign around PrEP um oh. although I know there's or certainly when I was researching it back in the day there was more work that needed to be done in terms of PrEP reaching like women specifically and probably um yeah black women as well um more specifically but um but yeah I mean could you could you tell me from your perspective Becky what PrEP does because I, I'll probably explain it poorly and you'll probably explain it much better than me <laughs> um pre-exposure prophylactis was basically around um, how people can basically prevent themselves from contracting HIV you know, I don't know if it was a particular group of people that spurred it on, but yeah, yeah. Not, I think to was... be honest, I haven't like properly read on, about prep mm-hmm. because I just seen it mm-hmm. like on social media and being talked about at um, events and stuff, but I don't know too much, you know. Yeah, so what what I remember reading at the time um, is is that it's a pill, obviously, that a person who doesn't have HIV can take to stop getting HIV. But I think there was a particular man um, who kind of championed... um, Yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. And his story was really uh, cool to read about. And I think um, I I remember, like, Mm. BuzzFeed in particular. Obviously, I'm a journalist, so I, like pay attention to media yeah, news yeah. and um, yeah. I just remember BuzzFeed in particular being really good at like researching reporting around what Greg Owens who, who was um the man who created I Want Prep yeah. Now the campaign um doing it mm-hmm. and and reading about his story um so that was really cool yeah I'm glad that 
like they had um, done it to include um, especially women. Mm. Um, and I think because that was around, I've always seen it around um, gay couples mm-hmm. but or in the gay community, but I thought about what about trans women and trans mm. women and men and also women, you know, even straight women. Yeah, I just think it's very important for all communities really yeah a hundred percent I was reading um today or it might have been actually on I might have listened to it on an earlier episode of this podcast um about some of the statistics to do with women in the UK who have HIV and and that it does particularly affect women in the black community is that something that you sort of see from your fellow like women in the HIV community HIV HIV positive community. I don't know if that's how you describe yourself. Yeah. Um, I yeah. know I know of a few women that are raising like raising their voices mm. because I don't feel that it or we don't feel that it's talked about that much for women. Mm. You know? Yeah, I think women should be told more about prep. Yeah. Absolutely. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. Um I think that um I can imagine because of various stigmas over the years and the way in which um, HIV diagnoses are often attached to yeah, cis men um, who, who uh, are gay. Yeah, I can imagine that um, it's a lot more difficult for women to feel like they can access various services and including getting, getting PrEP uh, if, they, if they need it. And I don't remember, you know, and it might have changed now because um, I'm on like a particular type of contraception and I haven't had to kind of go to the doctor about it in a mm. while. But um, <laughs> I don't remember ever being asked if I would like to go on PrEP or, mm. or it being a conversation that I've ever had with a healthcare professional in the years that it's been accessible. Mm. So that's a shame. And I'd, uh, if that hasn't changed already, then I, I think that should should definitely change. And just also just just more just more conversations about open conversations about HIV by sexual healthcare professionals would be useful in general, I think, Mm because beyond that one stabby finger um, (laughs) test that I did, (laughs) um, I, again, I was never offered a HIV test um, at any of the appointments I had when I was getting contraception. And and I think, again, I think that's possibly is a shame and is something that should change because it should be normalised, right? Like, um, and if you have it, you need to know. So, yeah. yeah. I think in South Africa, it's like standard procedure, really. Oh, is it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I know in in Cape Town, it's definitely standard procedure. If you're going Mm -hmm. for a sexual health checkup, then you are asked about if you want an HIV test as well. Mm, that's really interesting yeah. I think yeah. in my um at my local doctors in like New Cross it was mm. like you were only offered it if you were from like a particular background um and wow. I don't know that that to me felt like it was in some ways heightening the mm, stigma definitely. if that makes sense um because yeah. it was like it, it wasn't it was almost like oh if you're a, a black person from an African country, then you're more likely to have HIV. So we'll give you a test as standard. But actually, yeah. any, anyone can have HIV. So like, why not give everyone tests? HIV does not choose who it wants to, you know, be a part of. 
Yeah, for sure, 100%. But yeah, I've I've thought quite a lot about how the media can can kind of tackle HIV stigma and educate people and there's always more to be done. I haven't watched um It's a Sin yet, which I know that everyone's no, been talking I about. I yeah. No. I've just heard it's really sad and I'm like I don't know if I can handle that right now. Like it's a I pandemic. I love the Twitter cuz I was like I'm I do want to watch this, but mm. at the same time, um, my family were like, let's all watch it together. And I'm thinking, oh. I need to emotionally prepare myself yeah. first, you know, just in case, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm glad that you haven't either, because I thought you, you <laughs> might watch it and would be like, Charlie, like, what? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, what, what, going back to what we were saying about women, I think one of the criticisms of it, It's a Sin was the fact that it didn't really, as far as I'm aware anyway, mm-hmm. um, neither of us have watched it, so we might be wrong. <laughs> um, but what I've, what I've read is that it didn't really ta- tackle um, the experiences of women with HIV. So, God, it would be great to see a series that mm. gets that much fanfare that also goes into the experience of women with HIV. Like, yeah, oh, yeah I watched that. And you, could you imagine, like, ever... Right, you know, someone telling the story of your life on film or anything like that. Oh no, no way. Really? <laughs> no. <laughs> My mom always said it'd make a good book. And I yeah. was just like, let's leave that. <laughs> what do you think puts you off the idea? Is it like too like intimate or like is there yeah, what's putting you off? <laughs> I don't know. If I think I think walking down the street every day in a weird way, yeah, because it would be like, that's Becky, I've yeah. seen her movie kind of thing, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but at the same okay. time, at the same time, I think I'd own it. If it happened, <laughs> I'd own it, defo. <laughs> like, I'm yes. going to come back to you in like 10 years' time when there has been a movie and be like, Becky, do you remember that time where you told me that you were not going to let people write about Imagine your life? Imagine going through the archives and looking for this podcast. Yeah, yeah, I would as well, you know. Just so I could be that yeah. know-it-all moment. I'll be like, Becky, you told oh, me that. definitely. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Weirdly, a question just came to mind. Mm-hmm. Um, I was thinking, how much do you know about you equals you? And where have you heard it? If you have. So I have heard of you equals you. And I think as far as I'm aware, it means, um, oh, I'm going to forget that kind of, it's undetectable and untransmissible. Is that right? Yeah. Equals untransmissible. Yeah. 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 I'm not sure. I think I've just read it from various articles. um, And I think there's a few organisations, like possibly the Terence Higgins trust yeah yeah um mm-hmm. who have web pages on it and things um and i think it's i think it's great and it's been i mean for me anyway with it, who as someone who exists within the media like it really i like to think as the years go go by will will help to sort of change the one of the most pervasive stigmas around hiv which is that you know you can get it people when i was growing up would make up like like ways in which you could get hiv Oh, when you could it, yeah. like you know by touching mm-hmm. someone or, or or you know kissing them or whatever it is and not only is that not true but also like when it comes to having sex yeah, with someone but, yeah and, basically yeah. like busting those myths really mm-hmm. um I said on like an, a national and international platform as well you know when did I it start as a slogan do you know or like when did you start to see it in the world as like a as a oh thing <laughs> oh when did I start to see it well to be honest I started 
round about the question started happening round about when I was um, at one of the camps, you know. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was at one of the camps and um, the young people started asking about it, you know, and we had always, I remember as a young person being in the camp, we were taught about it being um, about medication being effective and the risk mm. is very, very low mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. of you passing on HIV to you, um, a person that is negative. And mm-hmm. we were always taught that little bit. And then it just kind of faded out. Mm, there was okay. no there was no sentence of the risk you know yeah. and the conversation started t- turning into yeah if you're undetectable on your medication you're good <laughs> like straight up you're good mm. you know um there is no there is no risk of you passing it on there is I can't even put it in a different way you know yeah, it's yeah. basically impossible Mm-hmm. you know and to hear that as a person living with HIV yeah I've always believed that if I take my medications I'll be very healthy it's a new beginning really mm-hmm. you know and it's been coming for a long time yeah. a long time you know because yeah, yeah. the stigma around taking medication on its own is a lot mm-hmm. you know but having that light not even on the, on the other side of the tunnel right next door mm-hmm is yeah it's a good thing yeah that's beautiful and from my position in the media I will definitely do what I can or continue to do what I can to sort of um spread spread the mes- message of you equals you um Becky it was so nice to chat to you um yeah lovely and, to and chat to you as well and yeah, I, I wish you all the best with your advocacy work moving forward. Um, you're a brilliant Thank speaker you. and it's, it's, yeah, it's just, um, it's just really heartwarming to hear about your teaching, <laughs> hear about what you were like as a, a little kid, sort of like standing up to the bullies. I'm very <laughs> into it. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. Please rate, review and subscribe via Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information on what Charlie and Becky were discussing on the show, email info at nam.org.uk or follow us on Twitter at AIDSMAP.